Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. In this week's podcast, we're going to focus on mental health in China, which appears to be a substantially underestimated public health problem. Just before that, some content highlights from the issue of the Lancet dated June thirteenth to the nineteenth. We have editorials about women in health, mental health, linked to the China piece we're going to discuss in a moment, and to the right to health responsibilities of the pharmaceutical industry. In research, an important article concerning childhood diabetes. This was previously published online. Also in research, an important but sadly negative outcome study concerning the use of progesterone to prevent against premature birth for twin pregnancies. This week's seminar is on Parkinson's disease and an interesting viewpoint, also previously published online, concerning universal healthcare and the removal of user fees. But this week we're going to focus on China and specifically mental health. In this week's issue, we publish a major piece of epidemiological research to try and identify the true prevalence of mental health disorders in China. Earlier, I spoke to Professor Michael Phillips, who is executive director at the Beijing Suicide Research and Development Center in China. There's been a movement among international mental health experts to try and deal with the huge gap between the burden resulting from mental illness and the actual services available. WHO has a、uh, mental health gap program, which is trying to figure out how to. Kind of improve the level of services, particularly in developing countries, low and middle income countries. Given this as the prelude in China, there has also been an attempt on the part of the Ministry of Health to develop a new program of health called、uh, Healthy China 2020. And as part of that, there is a substantial component for mental health. But exactly how to get there from where we are now to there is a, a major problem. We know in China, in terms of the disability adjusted life years, that mental Illnesses account for 20% of the burden of illness, which, like many other middle-income countries, is much more than infectious diseases, cancers, heart disease, and everything. But the resources that go to mental health are, are minuscule compared to the burden that actually produces. So, how do we get there? And so, the first step is to try and get a situation analysis, which is. What is the current rates of the illness? What are the available services? What are the potential resources that can be used to develop services to better meet the need? That was the original thought behind this study. If you want to try to be at all representative of China, you have to select different regions of the country. You've got to ensure that you have a balance between urban and rural China, which are really two major. There's a huge gap between urban and rural China, and also there's regional differences in dialect, in culture, in attitudes towards mental illness. There are relatively few minorities; about six percent of the population, so 94 percent of the population are Han Chinese. But those minorities do have different attitudes towards mental illness. They have different alcohol use patterns, which results in different rates of alcohol use, and most of them are in the periphery. Of the country, there's huge variation that you need to try and capture as much as possible in your sampling, so you can be as much as possible representative of the, of the population. Can you now tell us about the methodology that you used to to do these survey questionnaires? Pretty detailed approach you had. This was a、uh, four-province study. Our sampling frame covered 113 million people, which is the largest such study ever done. 12% of China's entire adult population. Within each province, we did a multi-stage stratified sample, which means we divided the province up into urban and rural regions, and then within the urban region, we would select urban、uh, cities, then urban districts, then neighborhoods, and then within neighborhoods, we'd randomly select households. Then, when we go to each household, we randomly select one individual, 18 years or 
of age or older. In the rural areas, we do a similar pattern. We start with counties, then go to townships, and then villages, and within villages, randomly select households, and randomly select an individual in each household. In total, we had a sample of 63,000 individuals. For each individual, we first did a screen, detailed screen, using the general health questionnaire to identify those who are at high risk of uh, mental illness, done by a trained psychiatric nurse. And then all those at high risk and a substantial proportion of those at moderate or, or low risk of mental illness were administered a detailed, structured clinical interview by a trained psychiatrist. They got a full month of training to obtain the final diagnosis. And the diagnosis projected back up to the sampling frame, which, as I said, is 12% of the entire population. The characteristics of the clinical interview were that having clinicians who are familiar with the local culture and with local ways of expressing and experiencing psychological problems, it was much more possible for them to be flexible in the way they ask questions. So rather than a fully structured interview, which is what's been done by the mental health survey uh, conducted by the WHO in a number of countries, the clinician could alter the questions to ensure that the respondent actually understood what the question was about and was able to get much more detailed information about symptomatology and effects of the symptoms on the individual. And the results, overall, I think it's fair to say that the prevalence of mental health you found through your survey was higher than you previously thought. Can you give us some detail on that? When adjusting all the results and projecting up to the sampling frame, we arrived at a current prevalence, meaning at present a mental illness, one, at least one mental illness was present in 17% of the population. There's a much higher than other studies in China that reported rates from 1% to 9%. So clearly it's very different. Does that mean rates are going up dramatically in China? Probably not. I think um, the higher rate is mostly because of the greater sensitivity of the instrument and the methodology that we used than in previous studies. Though there's one area where I think that rates really are going up, and that's in alcohol use. Within men, 11% has substantial alcohol abuse, which is a very serious and growing problem that hasn't got much attention in China because it was previously less prevalent. Women actually have very low rates, but men were up to 11%. And alcohol, of course, has a serious uh, range of other effects, uh, traffic fatalities, health problems, family violence. And so this is one issue that is clearly getting much worse, largely one presumes because of the increased income of uh, households, uh, men have more money to drink with. Uh, but it's an issue that deserves a substantial new focus. Just one thought on that. Clearly you're identifying through this large epidemiological study you know, a major health problem, a mental health problem that is affecting literally tens, over 100 million people in China, mm -hmm. according to your estimates. Right. What can China do to support people who have mental health problems? Projecting our results from these four provinces, which aren't entirely represented of the country, but because the four provinces are different regions, I expect it is represented. Projecting that result of 17% gives you 173 million people who have a current mental illness. Among them, about 25% have moderate to severe disability because of the illness, which means they're unable to work, they're unable to study, their daily function is severely affected. The other three quarters have a less serious uh, effects, so they're distressed, and there'll be some effect on their function, but they're able usually to work and to function at some level, though at a lower level. Among all those individuals who currently have a mental illness, only 8% had ever in their life ever sought any psychological help from a professional, and only 5% had ever seen a mental health professional. And of those, only half had seen one in the last six months. So something like 4% had, are actually actively in treatment of those who have a serious mental illness. And of those who are disabled, only about 20% uh, have um, uh, seen a 
a physician, either general physician or a psychiatric physician, for the problem. So there's this huge treatment gap, um, even in those who are severely disabled because of the mental illness. And that's clearly where the effort needs to go. In China, the, um, there's the will, and in fact, now because of the economic boom, China does have money to put to the problem, but there's many systematic pro issues that have to be addressed. In rural areas, for example, there's uh, many areas with no mental health services at all. Physicians cannot sell or prescribe antidepressants or antipsychotic drugs in rural areas, so people have to go to the big cities to get treatment. And so access to services is a huge limitation. There's a whole range of issues related to this, but uh, there's also the problem of stigma. People who realize they have a psychological problem are unwilling to seek uh, treatment because it's stigmatizing and they feel they should be able to do it themselves. There's lack of knowledge in rural areas. 60% of the people that we've interviewed have never heard of the word depression. And so they, even though they might have the full range of symptoms, they have no idea that this is a an illness that can be treated effectively. There's also a belief that the services that are available aren't really going to help them anyway, so people are unwilling to seek treatment. Another major limitation is, unlike Britain and many developing countries, psychiatric services are almost entirely focused in large psychiatric hospitals by psychiatrists. General physicians generally do not provide services, where like in Britain, about 85% of the mental health services that are provided are provided by general physicians. So in China, we, we have to change the culture of medicine and uh, make physicians accept that part of their regular care needs to be assessment and management of common mental disorders. And that's a huge uh, barrier to overcome. It means changing curriculum in medical schools. And it means changing reimbursement patterns within hospitals. There's a whole range of things that will need to happen to expand the workforce that can provide services for those who have mental illnesses. And finally, Professor Phillips, generalizing these findings beyond China, you make some points, don't you, about how the approach that you adopted here could be very relevant in other middle-income settings. There are two kind of major messages here for other countries. One is that the global burden disease uh, results, which make estimates for mental illnesses in all countries, often don't work for the middle-income middle countries that haven't done their own epidemiological studies because our results are quite different from the estimates in terms of prevalence, uh, treatment rates, um, and severity and disability that are provided for China from the global burden disease of illness. And so using that data to make projections and plans doesn't seem a good plan. So each country needs to do its own situation analysis. It looks, one, at the rates and the patterns by gender, by urban, rural, and other things like this, and the available resources that could be utilized to try and deal with the uh, uh, treatment gap. In terms of the World Health Organization effort to deal with the treatment gap, it isn't going to be one size fits all. You can't boilerplate a method. This should be done everywhere. I think every country will have its differences both in rates and in the, the evolution of services within that country. Who can provide the service? What do you have to do to expand the, the um, personnel that provide services? What training do you have to provide? What is acceptable within this culture in terms of changes in attitudes towards mental illness that will get people to seek care? What types of uh, health promotion efforts will be effective? I think those will vary quite a lot across countries. There can be some general principles, but the actual application of scaling up efforts needs to be country-specific. In any country, you need to have 
detailed situation analysis, including epidemiology and health services research about what's available, who can be trained, and uh, what other resources can be activated to try and provide needed services. And can I just say to our listeners that alongside Professor Phillips's article is a linked comment by authors from Columbia University in New York, and we also write an editorial on this topic in this week's issue. Professor Michael Phillips on the line from Beijing, thank you very much indeed for talking to The Lancet. My pleasure. Many thanks to Professor Michael Phillips for the interview. And thank you all for listening. See you next week.